0: Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. The issue of voting rights is front and center as the 2024 election grows closer. But that's nothing new, especially since the Voting Rights Act of 1965 opened the franchise up to all American citizens, regardless of race. Alabama has often been in the center of voting debates, and this year is no exception after the Supreme Court ordered better representation for African-American voters and maps drawn by the legislature returned to the courts. Dr. Adia Winfrey was formerly in the middle of this political fray as a candidate, but now she is focused on making sure citizens of her state exercise their hard-fought right to the franchise. When Winfrey made history in 2020 as the first Black female congressional nominee in Alabama's 3rd Congressional District. The Hip Hop Congressional Candidates Campaign garnered national attention for using the hip hop culture as a tool of political mobilization. She then founded Transform Alabama, a political mobilization and education organization, using some of the same methods. One of her younger colleagues, Maurice Gray, is a believer, though it took some convincing. Now he has joined the cause to urge young people to care and to vote. Just how are they energizing black voters of all ages and why does it matter? Welcome to Equal Time, Adia and Maurice. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Let's get right to it since election 2024 is upon us. Dr. Adia, Tell our listeners about the mission of Transform Alabama, and how did it get started?
2: The mission of Transform Alabama is connecting to Black Alabamians all around the state and helping them to understand the power that we have, the political power that we have, that quite frankly, we are not using. Um, Voter registration is pretty good, but the turnout is extremely low, and so we make it our mission to reach people right where they are in the community. We use hip-hop culture as a way uh, to communicate this message and let people know the power of their vote. We got started uh, because of my congressional race in 2020. I ran for Congress in uh, in Alabama's third congressional district at a time when the nation was going through something that none of us can imagine. And I think that we've never even had a moment to really process what we really experienced in 2020. But in the midst of that, um, I put together a, a campaign team and, and a campaign that you hip hop culture as a tool of engagement. And so, um, with everything that was going on in real time, we used people's experiences and what we were watching on our timelines and news feeds and on TV to connect that to voting and why voting matters. And- well, let's,
0: start, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah. We'll get a little bit more into exactly what you mean by hip hop culture in a bit, but you talk about voting and voter mobilization. What's at stake and why does it matter? Everything is at stake.
2: I mean, when we think about daily life, everything that we do is connected to politics, some kind of way. Whether it is our water bill, our Alabama power bill, um, the roads that we drive on, the jobs that we work, the taxes that we pay, everything is connected. To somebody that was elected or appointed by someone who was elected, and as Black Alabamians, we have a lot on the line and a lot to lose when we don't utilize our voices and our power. And uh, and that and that's the message that we're that we're really pushing with transform Alabama. And also, um, I want to note the fact that Alabama has been on the forefront in the in the in the forefront the the originators of a lot of the voting rights activism down through the centuries and so the work that we are doing with Transform Alabama is carrying on carrying on the legacy that was established in the 1800s as it relates to black voting power
0: wow i i know what you mean i always tell people You may not be interested in politics, but politics is interested in you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very much. So you have many challenges to overcome, and one of which is getting younger voters active and activated. Maurice, you are a student ambassador with Transform Alabama. Maybe you can explain, what do you hear? What is the problem? And I think this affected you. You didn't vote for a while. Tell us about your story and what exactly turned you around.
1: Okay, my story was me coming from a neighborhood where kids are just you know just out, they put themselves out there because there's nothing to do around here in the community. So everything always starts with the community force. so like city city vote is what matters to me the most. Then presidential, well like in the community, like I I don't been around kids where they just find trouble. Just because there's nothing, it, we don't have nobody to organize anything in the community. That it just, I just feel like a lot of stuff have to start with us for anything to happen. So that's. And that's what city age. is
0: this that you said you grew up in?
1: I grew up in Talladega, Alabama.
0: Now you weren't registered until what age, Maurice?
1: Um, twenty-two. I just, I just got registered not too long ago, like um a couple weeks ago, almost a month now, going on a month. So. I just got rushed, and I just voted yesterday too. actually.
0: how did that feel? I mean what turned you around that made that light bulb go off and say, You know, I have to get involved
1: just just seeing and knowing and you know um looking at different things, and you know like like I said, like the younger voice have a more powerful voice too, so when we when younger people vote it just it just it just make other like other people older than us just realize like okay yeah you got younger kids born now so something has to change you now like they maybe a lot of a lot of older people can't relate to younger people now in these generations so like when we get you just gotta be as one you see what I'm saying mm-hmm. so like when you become as one then people start listening and start realizing like oh he ain't he not he not kidding around he really trying to change <laughs> things you know what I'm saying so. How did it feel when you pulled that lever and voted? It was a good experience. It was a good experience. I'm glad. I'm glad I got to do that. It was a. It was an experience that I'm gonna always remember. And plus, like me being young, like every you should want to vote. You should at least want to try something. Every you gotta try something. You know what I'm saying? And use your rights. We got rights. So what? What's the purpose in that? You know these people generations back done fought for all these rights and we not using them. We got to use them. We got to start somewhere and use our rights and use our voice because the vote is a voice. So that was my light bulb. And I really, I'm I'm thankful that Dr. Deal encouraged me to go out and vote and I'm just happy. Yeah.
0: Great. Uh, Well, you have a convert, Dr. Adia. Yes. But how to- <laughs> yeah. How tough is it when you talk with folks, Folks who have the vote, they may not be using it. How are they explaining the low turnout? Uh, are they not making the connection between their lives, their everyday lives, and getting out to vote? T- just what do they say?
2: A lot of people really believe their vote does not matter.
0: They, when
2: when we talk to them about voting, a lot of people they really firmly believe that that their vote does not matter, and so helping them to understand that when you don't go to the polls, it's not that you didn't use your vote. Your vote just went to the person that will work in opposition of what you want. You know, you really can't remove yourself from politics, but you can exercise your right to have a voice at the polls. And so, you know, just getting people to understand the basic idea that your vote does matter, you have the same one vote that any billionaire uh, in America that's registered to vote has, and it's on you to use it or not, is much of the hard work. The other piece that we're seeing, uh, that we're running into, and, and that we really are actively strategizing to address, is getting information out in rural counties. Now, where me and Maurice live, we live in Talladega, Alabama, and we don't have a local TV station. We don't have local radio. So how do people get information? A lot of people, Maurice and, and some other members of the team, were out door knocking yesterday, and a lot of people did not know there was an election yesterday. And like I was explaining uh, to Maurice and Barry, I said, you know, let's think about it. Where where would they know if they weren't already engaged in you know, just actively working in political spaces. And so in rural communities, especially where a lot of money is not being spent, you know, we have to think of creative ways to get that message out. Even something as simple as people just knowing it's election day is sometimes a barrier. Another piece that is is an issue, especially in our rural areas, is transportation to the polls that is is a major um barrier for a lot of people and and again in Talladega, we don't have public transportation we don't even really have a reliable uh taxi or uber or lyft system and so how how do we mobilize and get people to the polls. Uh, so that, that's another issue that comes up because, I mean, you really do have to have a plan to vote, a voting plan. And, um, you know, a lot of people just aren't thinking in those type of ways. So, you know, th- those are some barriers that we have seen and that we're actively working to address.
0: Those are very practical reasons. I also want to ask about the history of Alabama, of course, particularly many Southern states how does that play into the attitudes of Black voters and their belief that they can make a difference? You
2: know, it's interesting. It's it's almost like counterintuitive. You would almost think that the legacy and the history of voting rights activism would automatically trigger, you know, active uh, involvement in politics. But sometimes it almost does the opposite because then people are like, okay, well, we did all this, but what did we get? And, and, you know, just really feeling disillusioned by the whole process. And especially now, oh my goodness, with corruption, seeming, like it's at an all-time high, you know, it, it just has further exacerbated people's feelings of just helplessness. And, and I think the, the legacy of oppression, particularly in the South, just feeds into that feeling of oppression and, and that feeling of, you know, what difference does it make? Nobody wants to hear from me. They're gonna rig it anyway. You know, those types of attitudes. Yeah,
0: so it's defeated before they even start. Really. There you
2: go, exactly, yeah. defeated before they start. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you sh- we've talked about your hip hop style uh, that you used in your campaign and you continue to use on the issue of voter engagement. And we're going to play an excerpt of the audio of one of your videos. Awesome. No
2: better time to do, better run it up. Kill the hood, Would I get spread funds and love. Tap in, organize, unite is one new day in the movement. We already won. Race to the polls, race, race to the polls. Race to the polls, race,
0: race to the polls. Race, race to the polls, race, race to the polls. Race to the polls. So tell me, Maurice. How does that type of message play with fellow young voters? What are you hearing from young people? Does does this strategy work?
1: Yes, because a lot of us, a lot of the younger generation, we are influenced by hip-hop and what we see, like music, the styles, the, the fashion. So all, that, all, all of what Dr. Dill's hip-hop message sends out, it, it all plays a part back to younger generation, which is the people that we are trying to reach. We trying to reach everybody, but the younger generation is what need to be reached. So I think that it was it's it's a it's a great idea, and I can very much relate to it, but too because I do like I make clothes like I'm I do fashion too. So like so you take different you you can always take different styles and you know different like techniques and fashion trends and stuff like that. So like it all goes back to hip hop though. I, everything started back with hip hop.
0: Do you share that on social media?
1: Yes, ma'am, I do. Wow.
0: We're going to have to see some of your clothes, too, all the hip-hop and culture. Dr. Adia, what was the inspiration for this new approach? Were you like, I got to try something? And what did you hear from voters? So hip-hop
2: has been in me. I was raised in the culture. Uh, My doctoral degree uh, for my dissertation, I actually created a hip-hop therapy curriculum um, it was the first of its kind as it relates to a dissertation positively showcasing hip-hop culture. And so throughout my pro- my professional career, I have utilized hip-hop as a tool of empowerment. So when it came time for me to run for office, it was just kind of a natural segue. Now, when I first ran in 2018, I was a complete novice to politics, uh, working with Doug Jones' campaign was the segue for me into politics and so initially the people advising me told me to stay away from hip-hop do not let on to what i've been doing with hip-hop just you know toe the line as a mental health professional but as much as i tried to you know hide my hip-hop the (laughs) hip-hop came out and uh and it was at a statewide event where a lot of um very well-known, very widely respected historical figures in Alabama, they were in attendance at this event. And uh, and they challenged everybody present to showcase their talent. And so I asked my children, I'm like, y'all, like, what am I going to do? Because I was like, you can't leave the room without showing a talent. And I'm like, my talent is rapping. So I'm like, I'm just gonna have to rap y'all. Like, I know I'm not supposed to be hip hop, but let me just do it. And the response from the elders was amazing. Like all Mm -hmm. these historic folks were just like, oh, she's the repping congresswoman. And (laughs) that actually propelled my political campaign. And although I lost my primary, that really set me apart. So when I ran in 2020, it was like already people expected that. I already had a campaign DJ, uh, DJ Oscar Austin. Um, You know, we already had set this precedent So in 2020, it just really took on a life of its own. Uh, I was able to actually buy radio ads. Uh, I did various podcasts and shows uh, in different places because the campaign went national uh, with the attention that we got because of the way that we were using hip hop and using it as a tool, not only to mobilize voters, but as a, a voter education, political education tool. So, um The majority of the population of the third congressional district is majority white. But, you know, no matter where I was, I I pushed the same message. And so uh, I garnered over one hundred and four thousand votes, which is the second highest vote count of uh, a Democrat to run in that in that area. Only uh, second behind the person that ran when Barack Obama was on the ballot in 08. And so uh, the fact that I was able to get those super high numbers. With the campaign that I had with a low black voter turnout, interestingly enough, um, it just shows that people were open and willing to hear the message. There was the discrimination that people thought I would get from white voters because Mm -hmm. I was hip hop. That's not reflected in the numbers, because, again, those high numbers I got was with a low black turnout. So, um, you know, we well, hip hop is universal.
0: You there know, you we go. just celebrated the 50 years. Uh, yes. so, uh, now you're not gonna, you gotta give our listeners a little freestyle.
2: Just do a little I, bit. Do I? A little okay.
0: bit. Come on.
2: Okay. 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 We the change we've been waiting for. Open the door. They told us to chill. We kicked in the front door. Hardcore to the core. Where we get to the core angels all around CM444.
0: Hey, I'm snapping my mm-hmm. fingers here. <laughs>
2: yes, that's a little sample. We just did a, a, a little remix. sample. Yeah,
0: a little yeah. sample. We did
2: a radio a remix same. with uh, with Shake the Field, a group out of uh, Alabama that does uh, political education using hip hop now. And so we just released a, a song, uh, Poppin' Needles, a radio remix. So that was a wow. little piece. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Now you're not a candidate anymore. And when you ask people to vote, you're not saying... You're not partisan. You're not telling them who to vote for, right? You're just saying Correct. get out and vote. right. Yeah. Now, Maurice, is this where the intergenerational engagement team comes in? What kind of strategies do you employ when you get on the phone and when you get out and door or not? And what issues resonate?
1: I try to relate. Like I try to tell them like, "Hey, I know I know what it's like to, you know, not use the rights or you know just try to implicate and tell them how like be important long as i can make a difference to one that's all that matters to me yeah
0: just get that one One, yeah
1: because that one might multiply to 50 so you so you never know you never know who who who's gonna turn out who and who's gonna be what in life
0: and and you can relate to issues like Making a living, getting a job, getting an education—all of those things.
1: Yeah, just trying to be better than your yeah. than your your environment at all. Like you know, what I'm saying like your environment don't dictate you to just stick in one spot. So you you know you just got to expand and network and you know meet certain people. Like when I met Doctor D, I've been working with her for years now, like years. And mm. I met her through her son. Like me and her her son was doing shoes. I was doing clothes and we just connected. And I met Dr. D. I got to talking to her and I told her that, yeah, I'm in school. I go to college. And, you know, we just hit it off right then. She just took me under her wing.
0: Oh, that's terrific. We got to talk about Alabama because that is a case. It's, of course, your state, but it has been in the national news because there's a court battles to make the congressional district more representative uh, to comply with the Voting Rights Act. And of course, the Supreme Court said you have to draw, you only have one majority black district out of, I believe, seven, with more than a quarter of the folks in the state being African American. You have to draw another one. The state legislature did not comply. They're taking it back to court. Now, how do you think this will turn out? And What are you looking at with this latest iteration? There are folks saying, well, maybe the court will flip another vote. Uh, Others say it will uphold its earlier ruling. Talk a bit about how crucial this would be.
2: This is... Unprecedented times. These are unprecedented times that we're in. And I've followed this case very closely. I was actually one of the original plaintiffs that filed the case back in 2021. Um, This was like the first work that Transform Alabama uh, was a part of when we formed as an organization because I started seeing and understanding how lines, I mean, you know, lines on a map impact the way your voice is heard, because that's part of why people didn't vote as well. Um, Like I said, my district was majority uh, white, but it was because of the way they drew the lines to break up where black people live. And so uh, the third congressional district is a big part of how this new black majority district is going to be configured and so uh you know we've been watching it really really closely at this point um the three the federal uh the federal court which is the three judge panel that we initially filed the case with has uh hired a um a map drawer essentially to create the maps because the state legislature refused to do that. And so we should have the maps very soon. Um, the qualifying time for running for Congress is, uh, it begins October the 10th. So it's crucial that we have these maps so people know what district, you know, they can actually qualify in. Now, this is where the work comes in though. While we will all celebrate. And while this will most definitely be monumental, the Milligan case is already one of those uh, cases that's going to go down in history. You know, like we hear Plessy versus Ferguson and Brown versus Board of Education. The Milligan case is, is one of those cases now. But as an Alabamian, you know, which is great for the country, but as an Alabamian, in order for us to benefit from the Milligan case, It's really going to take organizers getting on the ground, getting people to the polls, because even though it may be a majority black district, if those people don't vote and vote with authority, it won't make a difference because the opposition has already clearly shown they don't care about the law. They were in contempt of the Supreme Court, not just regular court. They were in contempt of the Supreme Court. With the map that they submitted, so that just shows, you know, the links that they will go to, to suppress the black vote. So when we get this good map, I'm claiming it, it's going to be imperative that we share this information and get people to the polls because there yeah. will be a lot of opposition to to uh, barriers, you know, to getting people there.
0: Yeah, and Dr. Adia. Maurice had talked about some of the issues that young people are concerned about, young people making their way, having a chance, getting a great education. What do you hear? What are some of the issues that cross generations that people really wish that their elected officials would take care of and think about?
2: People really want to feel a sense of security and knowing that, you know, if I do the right thing, I, you know graduate high school, I get, you know, whatever kind of training or develop certain skills, I will be able to sustain myself, my family. You know, there are things in the community for me, my children, my parents, you know, people want to want to feel that. And they don't see that in their elected officials. And and so, um, I mean, everything from, you know, the prices of everything are super high. So, of course, that's on a lot of people's minds. But just having things in the community that a lot of us, um, I'm Gen X, you know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. A lot of things that we remember, um, you know, that we valued, we're not able to provide those things for our children or things that we might have seen adults have. um, We don't have that as adults. And so people want those things. We want affordable housing and uh, clean air, clean environments, um, you know, all of those type of things, just the basic good quality of life. And uh, people don't see that a, a lot of times when we're hearing the narrative from national politics, it's not reflective of what the everyday person is going through. And, and so, you know, I definitely hear that a lot.
0: Yeah, we know the issues, particularly with all the climate emergencies of environmental racism, that how the climate issues hit some communities more than others because of infrastructure and so much other things.
2: Absolutely. Especially here in Alabama with the, uh, the severity of the tornadoes we've seen over the last couple of years and um, just the, the EPA coming in and, and um, you know, challenging some of these companies and, and what they're doing to our air and our water and our soil.
0: Yeah. So your group, Transform Alabama, you're involved with the Black Southern Women's Collaborative. Could you explain how that partnership works and are you sharing resources or research data? How does that work?
2: Yes, I am actually an inaugural fellow of the Black Southern Women's Collaborative of Alabama, which I'm very, very proud of and and thankful always to uh, Phyllis Hill for bringing this great collaborative to the state of Alabama Um, as a fellow, I really was able to get more direction on how to move, transform Alabama as the executive director, really able to begin understanding how we can use data and collect data through the work that we're doing. So being a fellow was an amazing experience. Once the fellowship was over, a few of us decided to create a, uh, I guess you would call it the Fellowship 2.0, where we created a project where we wanted to actually put in practice these things that we learned and the skill set that we bring and do a, a study of the whole state of Alabama. And that's what we're in the midst of right now. We created a survey and, uh, and we're going to nine different counties within the state of Alabama, including Talladega County, where me and Maurice live. And we're talking to people and we're asking them about their elected officials and and do they feel heard something else that, that we're asking about is jury duty because a lot of people don't know in order to be called to be summons for jury duty you have to be registered to vote however Many, and I would I would really almost say most of the Black people that we have talked to, Black Alabamians we've talked to over the last three weeks, have never been summons for jury duty, myself included. And so we've actually included that on our two-minute survey. So um, we're taking the months of September, October, and November to travel these nine different counties attending various homecomings, classic events. Uh, we've partnered with various churches throughout the state of Alabama to collect as many surveys as we can. Our goal is 2,000 surveys. We also uh, have made it a goal to register 200 people to vote. And so uh, Transform Alabama is one of the lead partners on this project, as well as as Faith in Action Alabama. And so we've been able to secure um, our own funding to continue this project.
0: You know, that issue of jury duty, we know, has a lot to do with criminal justice reform. How much representation do defendants of color and others have on the juries that may decide their fate?
2: Absolutely. Exactly. And, and again, connecting that back to why being registered to vote is important and helping people understand how the different branches of government are actually connected. So- Uh, That's why we included that question on the survey. The other thing about the Black Southern Women's Collaborative and and what you're asking about data, um, Phyllis uh, Hill, who is the founder of this collaborative, opened up her vast network to give us what we needed to create this project. And the first thing we said we needed was data. We wanted to know what these counties look like. We didn't want to just think about what we thought. You know, we wanted to actually know who lives there what the breakdown is and what surprised us the most, especially my own home county of Talladega, is the fact that the group that turned out to vote the least were people ages 50 and up. And that we were like, what? Like, seriously? And 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 not only that, that many of the counties that we were focusing on, the makeup of the, the, the age makeup of the of the counties was largely, you know, 45 and up. And so, um, again, as we're collecting this data, because this is just giving us a a foundation to continue on the work that we'll be doing in 2024 and beyond, but it has been just a great experience and a great opportunity to get the data. And and the data that we collect from the surveys, uh, we as a collective will uh, own and share that data. And we will also be Generating a report that we will submit out after uh, the end of the project. So, end of twenty twenty three, top of twenty twenty four, we'll have a report that comes out to uh, to share what we found.
0: That'll be very helpful. Now, Doctor Dia, we talked earlier about the history of Alabama. Do you find when you talk to people that many, particularly many Black Alabamians, aren't really cognizant of just the history of Alabama's role? in voting rights activism? And could you share some of that with the listeners?
2: Absolutely. I I find that, you know, we know that Alabama is connected, but we don't really understand that it was the Alabamians that were doing the work. When we think about the civil rights movement, of course, the first person that comes to mind Is Dr. Martin Luther King. But what we have to remember is that it was the Alabama organizers that not only selected Dr. King to be the civil rights leader in Montgomery, but gave him the tools, gave him the backing, the people, the strategy to do what he was able to do in Montgomery, Birmingham, and Selma. Like it's no coincidence that the three successful uh, movements that he had were all in Alabama. Alabamians have been organizing voters since black men were given the right to vote with the 14th amendment you know the 13th 14th and 15th amendment and we elected black people to federal office at that point and so uh, and, and it was a lawsuit that was filed in 1901 by a black man in Montgomery that could have secured voting rights for everybody but the Supreme Court voted it down so I mean that type of legacy of of History with voting is something that we don't particularly get. And to, to that point, the uh, Lowndes County Freedom Party, learning about that voting rights group is what led me and Oscar Austin to say we needed to found Transform Alabama. He and I, you know, roots going all the way back in Alabama. We never knew the Black Panther Party started in Alabama until my campaign in 2020. We learned about it on the campaign trail. And we just started doing a deep dive and and driving down to Lowndes County and just wanting to learn more. And we said, you know, if we don't know this, imagine how many people don't know and don't understand the great strides that black Alabamians have made for decades, for centuries, as it relates specifically to voting rights and helping uh, individuals recognize that we're just the next step in that long timeline of, of voting rights activism.
0: Now, Maurice, you know, we're at a time where there's so much discussions about teaching young people like yourself in in schools, the history, the true history of this country and civil rights. And, you know, Dr. Adia just shared that she's an incredibly well-educated person and so much she didn't know. Do you think that sharing this history with young people will give them that pride, that empowerment, that sense that? they are just one in a long line of folks involved in voter activism and engagement. And do you share that with them?
1: Um, yes, ma'am. That just That's funny because I just recently, um, all right, I, I go to an HBCU and I have a, I have a friend, a female friend, she goes to a um, PWI. And she came on, one day she came on the campus with me and she was like, "Um, it feels different. And I was like, she was like, you can feel the, 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 the earth, like you can feel the history, like it feels like history just there. I was like, yeah, that's why a lot of students choose HBCUs over PWIs because they, they, they try to stick to their roots. And when you go to, I feel like when you go to HBCU, you can be yourself. Like when you are a person of color, you can be yourself. Like you, you, you know, you can just enjoy the moment, and you know, it's it's a sense of pride just being on a black campus, like. A PWI is a, a a private white institution basically, so it's like predominantly white yeah. schools. It's just a
0: different experience, so, as you say, sharing the history. Yeah, it
1: just it just it just different. Like you you can feel that you can feel the history, like when you on a on a PWI campus and between the HBCU. So yeah, I just try to encourage people to like you know just go back to your history and you know. Read up on things, and you know, dig deep into where where we really come from, and you know, just try to take that aspect of things,
0: yeah, it's almost as though if you know what folks went through, then you almost feel a duty to honor that by right 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 right. Yeah. Right. yeah. So uh, I also want to just ask both of you, because I always ask it of my guests about, is there a question? That I have not asked that I should have because you have something that you need to say on the topic and you want to make sure we don't miss it for both of you.
2: I'll take it. I'll take it first. Um, what I would like to, to say uh, is that I am a mom of four children. And, you know, a lot of times we're made to feel, or at least I'll speak for myself, like as a, as a child and, and a young adult. Um, made to feel that becoming a parent means that you have to give up on your dreams or you can't follow a particular path. But being a mother has been one of the greatest blessings for me along my professional path. Because as Maurice said, I met him through my oldest son. And, and, you know, being a mom has allowed me to see the world in a different type of way. And so you know, definitely want to shout out the Winfrey for my children, Donovan, Damien, Amira, and Aiden. Um, you know, they, they have been with me, you know, moving close with me. At, at one point, I homeschooled them. When we first moved back to Alabama, I homeschooled them. This was in 2014. And, um, you know, just because I wanted them to understand our legacy, our history. And they were in uh, between uh, first and fifth grades at that time. And um, I wanted them to really understand our our history and and who we are as a people and our family and our role in Talladega. And so I just want to share, you know, with the listeners, you know, those who may be parents, who may be, uh, you know, expecting parents, expected parents, just know that there are ways that your children will align with the work that you're doing. I became a mom when I was uh, completing my doctorate degree. That's when I had my first child. And I actually, I had all my children while I was completing my doctorate degree. I started with no children and graduated with four. And so <laughs> um, literally, they have been right there with me. And it has been a blessing. So, um, you know, we when we start talking uh, accolades and resumes and the the great work, that I'm proud to do uh, within the state of Alabama. I've definitely done it with my children, my family, uh, my mother right right here uh, by my side. And, and I'm just thankful and, and thankful to have Maurice, uh, you know, just be a shining example of, the old adage that we always hear, it takes a village to raise a child, just how we're all connected. You know, I have many oh, children yeah. out there. And so uh, that does- And it
0: gives you something to work for the next generation. There you it, go. It really Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yes. Yes. Morris, I want to give you a different question. And that is, since you're right involved in the movement now, what is your hope coming up with the very crucial 2024 elections? Maybe with a chance for another congressperson, with- Races up and down the ballot. What's your hope?
1: My hope is for change. Like you know, what I'm saying, just setting. I hope. I hope we have somebody that can set real examples instead of just talking. I is it, you got to put action behind your words. So instead of talking, people should. I think the next person should just do more instead of talk about it and just show people. That's my hope.
0: Action. And Dr. Dia, do you see your strategy and your work, your your transform and transformational work spreading to other states? We see that you got national attention and it's throughout Alabama. Do you see it having an impact beyond Alabama?
2: I do. I do. And it's interesting. I work closely with uh, several organizers in Georgia, and um, when we first started Transform Alabama, they're like, okay, we need to go on and start working on Transform Georgia. And I just always be like, y'all, like cut it out. Like, you know <laughs> what we focus on right now. But I, I definitely do see uh, the work that we're doing as being a blueprint that can be replicated in other states. And so, um, but like I tell everybody, we intentionally name the organization Transform Alabama because we wanted to always be known where this strategy came from. And and so again, the Lowndes County Freedom Party, uh, also uh, later the Black Panther Party, uh, had its roots in Alabama, but the name wasn't there. And so, um, you know, we're happy and proud to, to work and partner with groups around the country, always keeping Alabama at the center and the forefront of what we do.
0: Well, we saw how, who would have thought that Georgia would have been such a crucial state, and now you have a black senator from that state. So who knows? Maybe Alabama is next.
2: We're claiming (laughs) it. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, you're
0: you're claiming it. Well, I want to thank you both, Dr. Adia Winfrey and Maurice Gray, for coming on Equal Time. I know our listeners enjoyed it, and they learned some things, and they got some entertainment With the politics. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you. We enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So for this episode, I turn it over to listeners to tell me what's keeping them up at night. One is a bit unsettled that what he judges as attacks on democracy are considered business as usual by cynics who don't seem to want to fight for it. Democracy, I mean. Another, an animal lover, notices a decrease in what we used to call home training by folks who don't mind breaking the golden rule without a thought. I have some thoughts on these related nightmares and have something to say about it in a recent column in Roll Call. Check it out. So, what's keeping you up at night? And what questions do you have, especially listeners about issues of policy and politics seen through a lens of social justice. Tweet me at mcurtisnc3. I wanna thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.